want to thank you for your blessings upon our lives. We want to thank you for the things that you have done that we can see. We also want to be mindful of the things which we cannot see, the strength that you give us, Lord. We thank you for your word and just being a good God, Lord, just being so good to us. In your name we pray. Amen. Brother Franz, just at this time, and the rest of us, let's get our Bibles. And again, we're going to uh, continue with baptism. We're going to deal with some of the uh, problem text with baptism. And uh, let's start. I'm going to take some of them out of order, I think. Let's go to Acts chapter 19, out of order in my notes, not out of order in the Scripture, of course, but... Uh, Acts chapter 19, a lot of people like to go to this passage and get confused, and and there really doesn't need to be any confusion here. And we come down to Acts chapter 19, we'll start uh, in verse 1, and it came to pass that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul having passed through the upper coast, came to Ephesus and finding certain disciples He said unto them, Have ye received the Holy Ghost since ye have believed? And they said unto him, We have not so much as heard whether there be any Holy Ghost. And he said unto them, Unto what then were ye baptized? And they said unto John's baptism. Then said Paul, John verily baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying unto the people that they should believe on him which should come after him, that is on Christ Jesus. And when they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul laid his hands upon them, the Holy Ghost came on them. And they spake with tongues and prophesied. And all these men were about twelve. So what we have here, just recapping very quickly, it's about twelve men. As Paul was traveling, he comes to the city of Ephesus. And, of course, he is going through the city trying to find those that are Christians, those that believe in the gospel. He finds these 12 men. They say, we are Christians. We've been baptized. And Paul says, have you received the Holy Ghost? They said, we don't even know who the Holy Ghost is. We've never heard of such a thing. And uh, then Paul asks a question. Basically, it's what kind of Christian are you? And uh, what were you baptized unto? They said, we were baptized unto John's baptism. Now, if you remember, John, when he was explaining baptism, he said, I baptize you with water unto repentance. But he that cometh after me is mightier than I, whose shoes I am not worthy to bear. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost, salvation, and With fire, damnation, those are the real baptisms. Water is a picture. Can you get saved by believing in the great spirit, in the supreme God, without giving him a name? Now, there's lots of people that would like to believe that, but this passage right here says you have to give him his name. You have to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, these men believed as much as was possible. They believed everything that was told them. But someone didn't tell them the story of Jesus. Jesus had already died on the cross, resurrected from the dead, and ascended into heaven. They were still 
waiting for him to come. And you cannot be saved waiting for Jesus to come in the same sense as in the New Testament, uh, in the same sense the apostles were. But let me ask you a question. We're going to complicate this a little further. Who baptized Peter, James, Andrew? Who, who baptized the disciples? Why, John did. John the Baptist did. Jesus fulfilled his earthly ministry. After his earthly ministry was fulfilled, did Peter, James, and all the apostles get baptized again after Jesus ascended into heaven? No, there's no record of that in the scripture. Now, this is, if you, if you want to use uh, a phrase, this is what we call a transition period in the scripture. They got baptized. Their faith was in the coming Messiah. Once the coming Messiah was revealed, they put their faith in Jesus Christ. But it was not until after his resurrection that they would receive the Holy Ghost and all of the things like you and I enjoy at the moment of salvation today. These people had an incomplete knowledge of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And incomplete knowledge will not save you, and if you're not saved, you cannot be baptized. So these men had to be baptized, and you'll notice it says here, it doesn't say in verse 5, and when they heard this, they were baptized again, because they were not baptized in the name of Jesus. They didn't know who he was. Nobody had told them the message of Christ. It only told them the partial message of John. And once they heard the message, they said, well, we want to believe in the Jesus that John preached. We just didn't know who he was. And they believed and they were saved and they gave evidence of that salvation uh, with the same signs and wonders that the apostles gave in Acts chapter 2 and that the Gentile uh, Cornelius in his group of people that believed in Acts chapter 10. And so what we have here is as simple as it can be, and I want you to, uh, I don't want you to, uh, how shall we say this? I'm, I'm lost words here. This passage looks very simple, but you cannot believe what commentators do with this passage. These people obviously did not have all the message of salvation. They were not saved. You've got to be saved before you get baptized. And what the, the reason this story, one of the reasons this story is included in the scripture is to help you and I understand you must put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, then identify with him in baptism to serve him in the local church. You say, Pastor, that is so simple. Yes, it is. It is so simple that most commentators, as they read over this, try to put all kinds of crazy things into this passage. And really, all that we have here is some people who wanted to be saved, only had a partial information. They were not rebaptized because you don't rebaptize anybody. They got baptized because what they had before, even though it was according to the form of John's baptism, was no longer valid because Jesus had already been identified 
And so therefore the focus of the baptism cannot be forward-looking to the coming Messiah. It must be backward-looking to it is finished. Amen? And, And that's all that this passage is. And if somebody tries to make something out of it, that uh, hasn't been then uh, or something else, then just uh, don't don't pay attention by any means. Let's turn to Romans chapter six, and this is a passage that uh, many of those who believe that salvation and baptism are synonymous. Now it's not too hard to figure out why they would make that connection. Because if we stick with our understanding of Matthew chapter 3, that the baptism of the Holy Spirit is salvation, just like the baptism of fire is eternal damnation, those are things that Jesus does, well then, it doesn't take a whole lot of confusion to confuse water baptism done in the church with the spirit baptism, because the same word is used. Now I want you to read with me here in Romans chapter 6, What shall we say then that Abraham our father, as pertaining to the flesh, hath found? For if Abraham were justified by works, he hath whereof to glory, but not before God. For what saith the scripture? Abraham believed God, and it was counted unto him for righteousness. Now to him that worketh is a reward not reckoned of grace, but of debt. But to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is... Counted for righteousness. Oh, I'm reading Romans chapter 4. I'm sorry. There we go. I'm saying now, where is it? I know it's right there. Okay. Verse 3 of Romans chapter 6. Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin." And I want you to turn with me to Colossians chapter 2. We're not going to cover exactly every passage, but here is another parallel passage talking about this. Let's read verses 11 and 12 of Colossians chapter 2. In whom also ye are circumcised with the circumcision made without hands in putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, buried with him in baptism, wherein also ye are risen with him through the faith of the operation of God who hath raised him from the dead. And you, being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses. Now, We have this phrase here that we are buried with Christ by baptism. And a lot of people want to say that that happens when you get immersed in the tank, that you are buried with Christ by baptism. Now, 
The question that I have is how does a physical symbol equal the spiritual reality? If you got saved by believing on the Lord Jesus Christ, were you not at the moment of salvation, Jesus' death was counted as your death and you were set free from your sins. Jesus' resurrection is counted as your resurrection and you have the hope of the resurrection whether you ever get baptized in water or not. Are we still together on this? Amen? Salvation is the work of God. The imputation of the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ to your life, to my life personally, happens at the moment you call upon the name of the Lord and are saved. If you could get these things by water baptism, this is the confusion that led to infant baptism and baptismal regeneration, as we call it, and all of these other things, is that somehow you're going to be accorded a special place in heaven because you went through the waters of a baptistry. Now, that's not, that was not true of John's baptism. His baptism was a baptism of water unto repentance, You repented on the inside, you got wet on the outside to identify, to publicly uh, show people, testify actually, that you were preparing your heart for the coming Messiah. You believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, he saves you on the inside. You get baptized on the outside to give public testimony that I am identifying with Jesus Christ. And we would also add, and with His church, because it is the church that does the baptizing through the word of God. Jesus did not commission individuals to baptize. He commissioned his church. And so we come here to this passage, uh, Romans chapter 6 and verses 1 and 2 says, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Verse 3, the context is dealing with sin. Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ, were baptized into his death, were buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. Um, Let's go to Ephesians chapter 4. And... I believe this one will help us a little bit. Just nail this thing down. We come to verse 5 of Ephesians chapter 4. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. Verse 6, one God and Father of all who is above all, through all, and in you all. Now, the Apostle Paul here is writing to the church at Ephesus. That's the same place he had the problem with the 12 men who were baptized with John's baptism. He says there's one Lord. There's only one Lord, Jesus Christ. There's only one faith. There's only one salvation. And for the Christian, there's only one baptism. That's baptism in water at the local church. Amen. You see... 
God doesn't make a big difference between the reality of the baptism of the Holy Spirit, which is salvation, the work of God in your life at the moment of salvation. And he puts that very close parallel with the picture, the physical representation of that, the physical testimony of that fact, which is baptism in water. We need to academically, theologically, keep baptism separate from salvation. Otherwise, we're going to fall into the pattern of the Catholic Church uh, or... Uh, later on, you have the Church of Christ and others who believe that you are saved through baptism. You're not saved through getting wet. You're saved by putting your faith in Jesus Christ. But let me ask you a question. If you truly believe Jesus Christ as your Savior and you're trusting Him for your eternal security, is getting baptized in water a big deal? No, it should automatically follow. And if it doesn't, then there's a problem with your faith. It needs to be fixed. You need to get baptized. Amen? And uh, we want to encourage everyone uh, that is not to do so. They are closely paralleled. It is taken for granted And the Bible uses the term baptism, Romans chapter 6, is definitely talking about salvation, the crucifixion of the flesh. You don't get your flesh crucified when you get wet in the water of baptism. But it is crucified when you are made dead with Christ that you may live, escape the penalty of the law, and live unto God. Are we all together here? And I'll tell you what, these passages will generate arguments and dissension in almost any group of preachers. Uh, We want to be as simple as we can. If you're still in Ephesians, I want you to just go back a few pages in your Bible to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Maybe 20 pages or so, I'm not sure exactly what that would be. Um... 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and uh, we're going to uh, touch on a verse that a lot of people have problems with. In fact, the Mormon church has built an entire doctrine on this one verse that has nothing to do with the Bible whatsoever. And uh, verse uh, 29, else, what shall they do which are baptized for the dead, if the dead rise not at all? Why are they then baptized for the dead? Now, people like to take this passage and say, okay, well, here we've got uh, Ephesians says, there's one Lord, one faith, one baptism. How in the world do we have more than one baptism? Well, just a minute. Let's put Ephesians in the context of the local church there's one Savior there's one salvation and there's one baptism identifying with that Savior nothing else that's all Apostle Paul saying in Ephesians chapter 4 because we've already heard John's testimony that there's a baptism with water unto repentance there's a baptism of the Holy Spirit and there's a baptism of fire And we get here to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and Paul has finished 
uh, is finishing actually uh, one of his longest speeches on the resurrection and what salvation is all about. And then he ends it with what has become very confusing to many people, this idea that you're baptized for the dead. Now, what I want you to do is, is read with me, and we're going to apply our rules here. First of all, when we look at a passage, we look at the words, and the words are very simple and very plain. There are people that are baptized for the dead, and they ought to be baptized for the dead. It says, uh, it even asks the question, why, why are they then baptized if the dead don't rise at all? Well, now, if we try to let that verse stand by itself, you can almost find justification for the Mormon doctrine of baptism for the dead. Uh, what they believe is that if your grandfather died without the Mormon faith, you can go be baptized in his name and he'll have a chance at getting to heaven. So in the Mormon faith, you can be baptized. Uh, they actually have people that are professional baptizees. They go through the phone book. And they're claiming all of these people who have not been in the Mormon faith. Now, not every Mormon temple or whatever it is does this. But, I mean, there's some fanatics out there that they are trying to build the kingdom. And remember, in the Mormon faith, you get your own planet and your own celestial harem and all of these uh, things that are out there. And so what they're trying to do is make claims on as many souls as possible so in the final judgment day... Uh, they'll be able to call all of these souls that had nothing to do with the Mormon faith, didn't care, but they can come and inhabit uh, their, uh, that individual's kingdom. Let, let me tell you something. Uh, that redefines the word bizarre. And uh, I'll, I'll just put it out here since we're talking about Mormon faith. Uh, I don't believe in the Mormon faith. I believe that anybody who does believe in the Mormon faith has got some real problems. And uh, I am talking about our presidential candidate, who is a Mormon. But unfortunately, uh, he is the kind of Mormon that most Christians are the type of Christians. Uh, he's not that much of a Mormon. And... Most Christian, most people who claim to be Christians aren't that much of a Christian. Uh, I would just challenge you as you look at the candidates that are out there. Uh, again, it is a choice of the best of the worst. And uh, I would certainly challenge you that do you want four more years of what you got? Uh, Somebody said it this way. He said, if the devil was running against him, I'd have to stop and think about who I'd vote for. And uh, that's just the truth now, isn't it? And what it is, is an indictment against our nation and our society that we cannot produce better candidates than we have. But while I'm chasing this rabbit, let me challenge you, a vote for one of these third-party weirdos is a vote for Obama. And so if you want to vote for Obama, just vote for him. 
But if you want to vote against Obama, you, you must vote for the Republican candidate or you're voting for Obama is really what that's the way the electoral system works. End of commercial. Just want you to think about that. Um, we are not endorsing any candidates. In fact, there are no candidates in this race that are worthy of our endorsement. Uh, but I, I want to challenge you to think that do you really want more of what we've had for the last four years? And, and if you don't, you better vote for whoever is running against Mr. Obama on the Republican ticket. Otherwise, you're voting for Obama. Um, because uh, that's, if you have any questions about that, we'll explain that later, but not in church time here. But uh, the baptism for the dead, in the context, we, we look here, we look at all the crazy stuff that people say. Now let's look at the context. The context, if we go before verse 28, uh, verse 29, is talking about the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And in the resurrection, don't you worry about what body will be raised in. God has taken care of all of those things. We go after this verse and it says, verse 30, Why stand we in jeopardy every hour? I protest by your rejoicing, which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord. I die daily. If after the manner of men I fought with beasts at Ephesus, what advantage it to me? It me, if the dead rise not, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Be not deceived, evil communication corrupt good manners. Awake to righteousness and sin not, for some have not the knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame. Now what Paul is talking about here, he's saying, listen, this thing of being baptized with the dead has to deal with the fact that we stand in jeopardy every hour. He says, what advantage is it to me if I fought with beasts at Ephesus and the dead rise not? And so now I want to go to a couple of passages here in, in uh, Matthew chapter 20 and see if we can't make a connection. Now you'll probably remember this passage because... James and John's mother is saying, I want James on the right side and John on the left side in the kingdom. But Jesus is going to make a statement here that I believe is going to clarify 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Verse 22, Matthew chapter 20, verse 22, But Jesus answered and said, You know not what ye ask. Are ye able to drink of the cup that I shall drink of and to be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? And they said unto, say unto him, We are able. And he saith unto them, Ye shall indeed drink, uh, in, ye shall drink indeed of my cup and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with. But to sit on my right hand and on my left is not mine to give. But it shall be given to them for whom it is prepared of my Father. Let's then go to Mark chapter 10. And this is another passage here. Mark chapter 10, verses 38 and 39. 
And Jesus is going to say the exact same things right here. He's going to say, you know not what you ask. Verse 38. Can you be, I'm sorry. Can you drink of the cup that I drink of and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? And they said, we can. And Jesus said, ye shall indeed drink of the cup that I drink of and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with all shall ye be baptized. But to sit on my right hand, and it goes on, and let's go to Luke chapter 12. Verse 50. And again, this is not talking about the exact same issue, but very uh, uh, in the exact same story, but it, I believe it is speaking about the same topic here. Verse 49 says, I am come to send fire on the earth. And what will I, if it all be already kindled, but I have a baptism to be baptized with, and how am I straightened till it be accomplished? Now, at this time, Jesus had already been baptized by John the Baptist. So what in the world baptism is he talking about that has to yet be accomplished in his life? And... The simplest answer is he's talking about the baptism of suffering through his death on the cross. Paul was talking about the baptism of the dead. Why stand we in jeopardy every hour? And we, in fact, use that term in exactly the same way in modern English. We call someone's initiation into a very serious problem, especially many of our military. When they're in the first wave of an attack, we'll call it a baptism of fire, won't we? Now, that's not the same thing as what's in the Bible. But the idea here is Jesus was talking about the baptism of his suffering and his coming death. The baptism of the dead is... Dying for the cause of Christ. And Paul was simply saying there in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and I know that the word baptism is in there. People have a problem with that. But the simple truth of the matter is Jesus used the word baptism talking about the coming cross and his suffering. Uh, James would be killed with the sword. He would die for the cause of Jesus Christ. Now, John would live a very long time, but yet he would still die in service for Jesus Christ. And this baptism of the death of the dead or for the dead is nothing more than giving one's life in service for Jesus Christ. Now, that's as simple and as biblical an answer as I can give you. Uh, and if you don't like that, well, I'm sorry, there's nothing else in the scripture that you can go to that will even make sense of that passage. Uh, I believe that's where you have to go. And so we have, uh, uh, as we review what we've studied tonight, we have a difference between John's baptism and the church's baptism. John's baptism was looking forward to the coming Messiah the baptism of the local church looks back to the finished work of Jesus Christ. 
there was a perfect progression and no conflict. But once you get past the ministry of Jesus Christ, John's baptism is no longer valid because you must believe in the Lord Jesus Christ because he has been identified. And so uh, there's, uh, there is only one baptism for the believer. That is water baptism in the local church. But the word baptism is used in different passages talking about the work that God does in our souls at the time of salvation. And uh, let's just get one last one very quickly here. Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And we have a lot of people that like to use this verse to speak about the um, universal church and that no one church is, is important in particular. And they go to verse 13. It says, For by one Spirit are we all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have been made, all made to drink into one Spirit. For the body is not one member, but many. So, we have all being baptized into one body. And people want to make this verse say that there is a universal, invisible church that stretches all over the earth and that all believers are connected through baptism. But people who say that will then argue about what constitutes baptism. You see... They'll, they'll talk about, well, as long as you got immersed after you were saved, it doesn't matter who did it, it doesn't, any of these things. Again, all of that goes against Scripture. Why did Jesus walk 60 miles to find John? Because he was the man God ordained. You want to get scripturally baptized, you find a church that teaches the Bible. Otherwise, you don't have the proper authority for baptism. But skip down to verse 26, and if you've been through our discipleship, you know where I'm going here. I'm sorry, verse 27. Paul says, Now ye are the body of Christ and members in particular. Now, wait a minute. Doesn't that contradict verse 13? Well, the simplest answer I can give you, verse 13 is God's perspective. When you get saved, Right, uh, Paul wrote in Ephesians, we're already seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. God sees the end from the beginning. We will be assembled together in that church in heaven. But until we get there, Paul says, you Corinthians are your own complete body in Christ, members in particular, and you need to serve God until Jesus Christ comes back. This is the doctrine of the local church. There is nothing else for the believer. If you're going to be right with Christ, you must be right and serving in a local body of believers. And of course, the picture of a body is very self-explanatory. If we were to bring a body in here, 
and have it all cut up in little pieces and test tubes and everything all over the side, what do we have? We have an autopsy. Yes, we have a body, but it's not life. Uh, if we cut up that little body into all kinds of little pieces and shoot it out all over the world, said, Pastor, that's gross. Yeah, we have some bizarre scientific experiment of some kind, but we don't have life. In order for a body to live, all of its pieces must be in the same place, connected together and working together. Otherwise, you don't have life. That's what the, that's what the local church is. When we get assembled together in heaven, guess what? We're going to fit more perfectly in heaven than we do here on earth. But that's a work that God's going to do. And we'll wait until we get to heaven. And I'll just go on record as saying, I do not believe, I do not believe I can find in the scripture any place of a special spiritual platform for people who are baptized scripturally and people who were disobedient, I think you get the same salvation the thief on the cross did. And so therefore, what we have to do is we have to understand you can lose rewards by not being obedient to Christ. Amen? You cannot serve Christ the way he wants you to if you're not baptized in a local church. And uh, we're running out of time. There's also baptized to Moses in the Red Sea. And again, that is just a physical illustration. We go back to our teaching on type and pictures. The baptism of the Red Sea is a picture. They pass through the water, but the only problem was it is a picture because they didn't get wet. In the Red Sea. The only ones that got wet were Pharaoh and his army, and that was kind of a bad thing now, wasn't it? Uh, But it is a representation. The ark is a picture of salvation, of baptism by the Holy Spirit. They went into the ark, and they were saved. That's the picture. You get put into Jesus Christ by the Holy Spirit of God at the moment you believed, and guess what? you pass over, or the judgment of God passes over you. And so, water baptism, it's important. It needs to be a part of your life. You need to be a part of a local church. One Lord, one Savior, one faith, one salvation, one baptism. Don't worry about the baptism of death. If God wants you to go through that, he'll lead you and you will join the great company of martyrs that have been written, have written the history of Christ's church in their own blood. You don't have to worry about the baptism of fire. That is for those that are eternally unsaved in the lake of fire at the end of the Bible. But you need to be part of that one body, members in particular serving Christ until he comes. It is amazing, and I I hope that you say, Pastor, that's all so rudimentary. It's elementary. It's very simple. I mean, I see what the Bible says. Why are you spending so much time teaching on it? Uh, This is because people have fought wars. 
about the definition of baptism. Uh, there are entire denominations that were founded by the redefinition of baptism into other things. Uh, if you've ever met anybody from the Church of Christ, and Lord forbid you meet someone from that rabid group called Church of Christ of New York City. If you've ever met one of those people, you know what I'm talking about. They are absolutely insane. They live in little communes all over the city. And uh, I remember one time uh, I got hooked into going to one of their Bible studies. I, I did not know what I was getting into. And, uh, oh, it was, it was absolutely amazing. And uh, thought I was going to get in a fist fight before I got out of there. But praise God, the Holy Spirit prevailed and the flesh did not. Amen. But uh, I'll, I'll tell you, a lot of crazy people out there believe in a lot of crazy things. And you turn on TBN and you got everybody talking about this second blessing of the Holy Ghost and baptized and speaking in tongues and doing all this bizarre stuff. None of that is in Scripture. Yes, they did speak in tongues. But that was evidence of their salvation. It proved that the Hebrews, the Jewish people, would be saved on the day of Pentecost. That their salvation was different from that of the temple worship. Later on, we have them speaking in tongues in, in, uh, uh, in Samaria... Why did they do that? To prove that half Jew, half Gentile could get saved. Acts chapter 10. That the Gentiles could be saved. How could you get more Gentile? How could you get lower on the totem pole than being a member of the Roman army that subjugated the Jewish people? And yet God saved a centurion. Then we get to Acts chapter 19 and we developed, uh, did, went through that one tonight. And that is to help us understand that you must believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and be truly saved before you're baptized. Otherwise, it isn't baptism. And so, we, we try to keep things as biblical and as simple as we can. And, and I hope there's not been any confusion raised here. And if there has been, please see me afterwards and, and uh, I'll try to clarify. But that baptism for the dead is simply suffering for the cause of Jesus Christ. Was not Jesus immersed in suffering on the cross? Uh, I don't see how anybody could go anywhere else with that. And the picture of baptism, the picture of baptism, shows us the work that God did through the Holy Spirit at the moment we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Theologically, we must keep baptism in water and baptism of the Holy Spirit salvation separate. But in the scripture, they are joined very close together. Because once you get saved, you ought to follow the Lord in baptism. It ought to go hand in hand. There were no classes given out on the day of Pentecost. And I know we have some people that get baptized and then they disappear. Well, we'll just keep teaching the truth. Amen? But uh, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you.
We ask you to do your work in our hearts and lives. Help us to understand these things, not to be able to argue with others and, and, and debate these points, Lord, but to simply believe and to live them each and every day. In your name we pray. We'll give you just a moment to add.